0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back to Spear Factor. Today our guest is Mr. Paul Rodriguez of Hot Rod Spear Guns. Paul is a sponsor of uh, Spear Factor podcast as well as a friend. Um... He has been traveling the world, slaying dogs, and developing his new and improved travel hybrid, which I've personally used and was really impressed with it. We talk a lot about dog tooth hunting and gun building and some other uh, hunting tips. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. And as always, we got to give a big shout out to our sponsors, Kamira Spearfishing and Binners of the Sideslip. I personally use this product quite a bit and I believe in it. It's a really, really good product to have in your tools, uh, your little arsenal there for hunting. It's basically replaces the slip tips, making it possible for you to hunt around rocks. It's a patent pending design and it's a Southern California company. Um, if you go to the website, KimeraSpearFishing.com, uh, that's K-I-M-E-R-A, SpearFishing.com. And Decide you want to purchase if you put in the promo code spear factor one word spear factor You'll get an additional five uh, percent off on your purchase uh, try it and uh, let Rob at a uh, spear factor know what you think and uh, Constantly trying to make the product better, which uh, that's what I like about the company. So uh, that's why uh, we're working together and Also, another sponsor is Hot Rod Spear Guns, Paul Rodriguez. Uh, I've used Paul's guns hunting dogs down in Micronesia and also down in Baja. And I got to say, you can't beat that gun for the price. It's an amazing gun as well as the breakaway gun that he just developed is incredible It's a true blue water breakaway gun that is smaller or roughly about the same size as a set of fins. Um, Check out Hot Rod Spear Guns at hotrodspearguns.com. Other sponsors include Los Bigotes, the Mustaches Apparel Company. I've worked with them for a few years now. Really good group of dudes. Check out their website, LosBigotes.com and see the shirts and hats and uh, Hawaiian shirts. Good stuff they got. And our last sponsor is One Drop Spear Fishing, basically a, an environmentally minded group of guys that love to dive, live and breathe it, but their whole focus is feeding friends and family and enjoying their time in the water. Nothing more, nothing less. Um, solid group of guys. And uh, check out their website, One Drop Spear Fishing. Check them out on YouTube, One Drop Spear Fishing. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor Spear Factor podcast, feel free. Uh, You can go ahead and shoot me a note on the website, SpearFactor.com. Thank you. Hey, welcome back to Spear
2: Factor. Today we have our special guest, Paul Rodriguez from Hot Rod Spear Guns. Well, welcome to the show, Paul. How's it going? Glad to be here. (laughs) First of all, let me just say thanks for agreeing to do this. Uh, Paul and I were on a trip what, in December to we go diving, and I was like, "Hey, man, it would be really cool to have you on the show because your guns are really good and unique." And, um, anyways, uh, and I'd like to promote your guns or whatever. Um, and and you being a true, I don't know, I respect it because I, <laughs> being a true. Uh, silent professional, so to speak, is like, yeah, not so much. And, uh, (laughs) it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but I was like, no, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, and then you hit me up. You're like, hey, I was in a bad mood. We had shitty diving. (laughs) I was was cracking up because I was just like, uh, I totally get it. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever you want to do, no pressure. So, anyways, thanks for coming on, man. Of course, man. Yeah, super pumped. Super pumped to be here, man. Yeah. And, uh, I will say Paul's guns, you guys hear me promoted in the beginning of the podcast and um, I recommend his guns to all my friends and anybody that asks because I truly think and this isn't a friggin' infomercial for hot rod spear guns, but I'm not going to blow smoke up anybody's ass, but I truly think that your gun is the best gun um, like for your buck, just the best gun in general, but like you're talking about the price point is awesome for the normal dude, I guess, or girl, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So how did you get into, let's start with your background. Um, you're from Coronado. Um, I guess but let's get all the way in the background because I know you're not from Coronado necessarily. So just let's, let's find out who Paul Rodriguez is. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um, so again, thanks for having me, dude. Um, so for me, spearfishing is, is aside from my, my family, is my entire life. Um, you know, if you ask anybody, I'm probably talking about spearfishing to people who don't want to hear about spearfishing almost every minute of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, my my life revolves around my family and spearfishing, essentially. My job is a side note at this point. Uh, I love my job, but it, I don't find as much joy in my job as I do spearfishing. And I, it started from a very young age. Um, I was a military brat. Um, and I grew up, fortunately, I grew up, uh, around the water almost my entire life. So, um, I, I got into spearfishing in Hawaii when, uh, we were on Oahu for about three years there. Uh, my dad had already, had already started doing it. Um, and I was, I was pretty young, man. I mean, I was, I was only six years old, five years old, but, um, my dad took me out, you know, when, when he thought it was right. And, uh, I started with a three prong the way that I think every spearo should start. Um, we can kind of get into like the aspect of, of hunting and, and fish sense. But, um, I think that's what it teaches you. Uh, and then I kind of, from there, you know, went back to California here and there. Uh, you know, my dad got stationed there, did a little bit of fishing in California, went down to South America, uh, did a little bit more there. Uh, I started, you know, I always, I was building things. That's just how I grew up. I mean, I always was working with my hands and, uh, in middle school, I just started messing around with whatever scraps I could find, started building guns, wanted to test it out in the pool and take it in the water. And um, as I grew up, you know, I had more opportunity to, to, to continue building. Uh, my dad, yeah, I pretty much attribute anything related to spearfishing woodworking to him. Like he taught me from a young age, you know, how to how to do, um, you know, some woodworking and then he taught me how to dive. So kind of the, the love for the both those things. Manifested together. Um, and from there, you know, uh, I got, you know, I went in the military after high school. In high school, I'd done spearfishing. We were back in California at the time. And, um, in the military, I had this great opportunity to, to travel and, and spearfish some more. And that and that's when I really, really got serious about the woodworking and the, and the gun building. So, um, about six years ago now, I, I got, you know, I, I started to look into uh, forming an LLC. And, and and making a business. I'd been building guns kind of for fun a few years prior to that, but I really got serious about six years ago. Um, and a lot of it was just trial and error, man. I taught myself everything that I know about spear guns, uh, building spear guns for the most part. Tons of research. Uh, I think a lot how a lot of guys you know start, um, and how a lot of guys you know they got they got the uh, the means. And they got the shop in the garage or they gotta access to tools and, and they just want to build stuff man. A lot of and that's the nature of a of Spiro. A lot of spiros are, are DIY type guys. You, you know Yeah. 100%. Your podcast is a is a is a, um a great example of that. So that whole spirit of DIY and wanting to do it yourself and me just loving to, to build things and and loving spear fishing, I was I was like, this is perfect man. And even uh you know when I was a kid, we we would go back to Hawaii. Uh, every every now and again and i and, uh, got to you know had the pleasure of diving with daryl wong you know legend of the sport uh my dad knew him and and the uh, original founder of uh, aim right um so my first gun was aim right um and uh you know great gun i remember shooting some of those invasives in hawaii and uh <laughs> it, it was just awesome man yeah. like just just growing up my dad allowing me like Pushing me to, to continue spearfishing and get me in the water. So you know, in California, we take trips to Baja. Uh, we were fortunate to get out to SEI a few times, and then out to Hawaii. Uh, that was kind of the foundation for me diving-wise. And then I think uh, a big turning point for me as far as diving was uh, I took a PFI course uh, out at Catalina, and and I, you know, I was I was 17, I think, and uh first time I hit 100 feet, I was like, this is insane. Like there's so much so much more to uh to get better at and I, you know that's another thing that I, I just think is you can always get better at anything so i apply that to the guns and i apply it to the and you can always improve uh, it, essentially in anything but um yeah man so that's kind of where where it started you know my, my dad essentially is, is the one who who did all that, that for me
2: no that's epic that's that whole sense of like progression it's what uh, I think drives so many of us. I don't know. I don't want to say like a man's man, so to speak, because there's a lot of women that that kills yeah. kill stuff too. Uh, yeah. And I'm sure they're the same way. But it's um, Yeah, I mean, like my stupid floats that I made, but like everything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> bro, everything is like, why? Why? Why would you, why don't you just buy it off the shelf? Because I don't want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, yeah, when, when I shot my fish with the gun that I made. And you've seen it. It ain't pretty at all. But you know what, motherfucker? Anyway. It's mine. And, <laughs> and, no, you know what I mean? And, like, yeah, it um, around, man. yeah and it feels like uh, it's some sort of, like, primitive thing in your mind that's, like, if I got stuck on an island, dude, I would thrive,
4: you know? Mm-hmm. And my
2: wife would be, like, sitting there, like, damn, I'm lucky to be on an island with this crazy bastard or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. yeah, so, no, it's it's funny you just, you say all that because, like, you were saying with the guns, right? Yeah. A gun... A spear gun you know my friend Colin told me a long time ago like probably I don't know 20 years ago now he's like if, if you have a two by four a, a piece of wood with a straight track it's gonna it's gonna shoot straight okay just yeah. get a straight track there's not much to it but now you're talking about like we're talking rollers and, yeah. and travel guns and all this other stuff that like um uh why. I don't know why just because we're just designed that way so many of us yeah. are, you know. Yeah. 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 And uh um so let's talk a little bit about when well, you mentioned three prong though like getting this uh pole spear, or three prong yeah. like what what and you did mention um you know uh, uh hunting sense and all that stuff like is that is that something that you experienced like can you kind of talk us through like your experience with it? Yeah.
3: So the way I've used spear fishing um, I kinda of break it down into three main categories. I, I like to break it down into the free diving aspect, right? You gotta be a good free diver if you wanna you know, shoot bigger fish. Um, and and safety kinda I would say safety obviously the the umbrella term over all of this. Um you got your free diving aspect of it, right? You you wanna you wanna continuously improve as a free diver. So and, and it's not something that you should rush, but you everybody's got a different learning curve, you know? Um you got guys that that are quick learners and can hit 100 feet after maybe a year of diving, dude, and and they're doing it safely. Uh, and I think that comes down to the right coaching. Um, and then the, the second aspect I would say is um, being able to mani- manipulate your weapon, the spear gun or whatever weapon you have. Um, I think that's it's the sad thing about the spearfishing community in my eyes right now is is, is a lot of guys skip straight to the gun. And they don't have a really good background as far as how to handle it, um, you know, and then using the, the gun for the right job because I think that guns do have this range of, um, you know, fish that they can handle or you know uh, the environment they can handle. But every there's not one gun that can literally do everything, right? You can't have a a, a whole gun that also shoots um, dog tooth tuna. You like you gotta you gotta have a you know, an arsenal, but you yeah. also have to start the right way. So that's where the three prong comes in. And that also ties into the third section, which I would say is is your hunting your fish sense. Um so fish sense, and I think this one's actually the most important. Um I call it fish sense, but it's really just um your ability to keep your heart rate down, and your ability to uh to read an animal and not scare it. So um you know you hear the You know, these amazing divers like uh, Kirk Connell talking to, you know, be a turtle. Um, And I think that aspect of controlling yourself uh, as far as, you know, you don't want to upset the environment. You're there to take one fish and then, you know, go home and eat it. Uh, And then reading the fish as far as their behavior, right? So you're reading the bait fish. If you're doing blue water hunting, you're reading the bait fish and you're reading, you know, the mid-layer fish. And then you, you you know when to dive, right? You just like it just turns into this like, okay, I'm gonna dive now because I think that this species is gonna be here at this time. It's just this, it's almost like this sixth sense, man. You have to just develop that over time. And I think that's actually the hardest. I think fish sense is the hardest thing to develop as a sphero. Um, and it's the hardest thing to teach too. But with the right coaching, I've seen guys um, in, in a year to go from <laughs> diving with diving for tiny little parrot fish to shooting 195 pound doggies dude like it's just it's this insane it's that that learning curve it's almost yeah. like
2: uh yeah it's almost like neo in like the matrix where you look down <laughs> no seriously when you look yeah. down right and you see your rainbow runners or you see like blacksmith or you see like mm-hmm. oh they're all up in this current and there's a line right there and it's like I'm wanna watch that fish, and the minute they move this way, uh first of all, like the first thing is like, okay, this is the fishy spot. if they're gonna be here, they're gonna be here, um, mm-hmm. but then you watch those bait fish and you watch them swim, and I, oh they did they look concerned in their eyes, like that whole yeah. thing, like after a while, you just you just can look at it and read the whole environment mm-hmm. um yeah, and like you said, that I mean I guess it does take time, but if someone can mentor you and hint you like, hey, you see that that's what we're looking for. And then, you know, but like, um, for me, I didn't really have too much of that. It was just like, just get in the water, dude, figure it out. And, um, and it worked. It was cool. It was cool. It took a long time, but Hey, I feel like, you know, much more well-rounded I guess. But, um, the the one thing you mentioned though was gun choice. And I kind of want to talk about that too, because, um, you know, I just did that little article where I'm diving in the Merck and like people ask me, what yeah. kind of gun do you use? And it's like, well, what kind of fish are you hunting? Like, um, you know, you see a 70 pound dog to, or excuse me, 70 pound white sea bass uh, in five feet of his. I don't need a 64 inch gun. You know, yeah. I need like literally like and I, I I talk about people like if you're hunting or like a kill house, like I know you're kind of <laughs> like you're going to clear a room or something. You're going yeah. to clear an area. You don't need a long rifle. like you know um so depending on what you're going for you might need a pistol version of a spear gun or you might need a shotgun do so you need yep. to have you know something maneuverable that you can put a hole into something that's big close and yep. uh yeah so can we talk a little bit about that like and then kind of tie that into what you have what you think your line yeah. of guns yeah absolutely so with uh i think the the
3: endless search is a gun builder is to find that gun, right? To find the gun that does everything. I, I don't, who knows if, we'll, if it'll ever be found, but um, I think guys are on the right track as far as trying to build a gun that can do the most um, because you got your outliers, right? You got your hole guys. You got your guys who shoot in holes all day long, uh, and they don't need a 120, to 130. And you got your guys that are pelagic hunters and they just love shooting big fish. Uh, and obviously, you need something, you need some power there, right? So, um, when I talk to a guy, the first question I ask, if it's a, if it's a newer diver, um, the first question I ask is, what's your target species? And the second question is, what's your environment? Those are the two questions I always ask because then I can gauge, all right, this guy needs, needs this gun. Um, so in that respect, uh, if I'm gonna, if I am gonna give a guy like, all-around gun uh it's still dependent on environment so if i'm going to give a guy in california an all-around gun it's probably going to be something closer to a mid-handle 110 120 because you can get a 110 mid-handle in some pretty tight spaces but you can also shoot you know yellow tail and patties and stuff like that right you got a little more maneuverability there um if I'm talking to a guy who's, who's, you know, fishing out in some remote islands in the Pacific, I'll, I'm more likely to lean to a rear handle 120, uh, 130, because a lot of guys need a little more range. The fish are a lot more skittish. Um, that's another thing where, the, you know, you got to gauge what the, in the clear water, you got, you got smart fish, especially in places like Hawaii and Guam, where you got really good divers who can hit 120 feet for three and a half minutes. You, you got to have some range. So. Um, that's that's kinda where I where I tend to lean uh as far as um gun choices and and uh you know, who's hunting with it.
2: Yeah, and I think it goes much deeper even than that, where it's like uh you're talking about like, okay, hunt pelagics and you need range, right? And something with power, but if you're taking a twenty twenty, twenty five foot shot on a yellowtail, it's gonna need a totally different gun than taking a twenty twenty five yep. foot shot on a tuna, you yep. know? And so like, um, yeah, I, I tried to make a couple of guns work that I'm like, well, just recently I took a 63 inch rear handle out to shoot a uh, three band to shoot uh, uh sea bass and the mm-hmm. Viz was five feet. And the thing yeah. came so close to me. It was like, I can't even shoot this thing until mm-hmm. it starts swimming away. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't five feet to begin with, but yeah
3: yeah no man that's that's just a tough situation and, and you almost you almost get this feel that the fish just they didn't know before you you're in their environment so um, yeah you take what you think is right and you're almost always under prepared so the best thing you can do is is <laughs> over yeah over prepare yeah i mean you get every little meticulous detail matters um you know i like to recommend guys do some target practice um if they're unfamiliar with let's say a guy's like, hey man, I'm a pipe gun shooter, but I want to switch to wood gun and close track. I'm like, all right, man, it's gonna it's it's gonna shoot straight, but you you should probably do one or two shots on on foam or something beforehand just to um or if you're chumming man, shoot your chum, right? So yeah. Um, I more involved is... with shooting one fish for for chum, right? And, yeah. and uh getting a practice run in. It's you know first dive of the day. Uh if it's slow if it's fast you don't want to, you don't want to waste your shot on the jump but uh yeah I, I recommend guys do a little bit of target practice i mean for my job obviously you know my job I, um we practice on the range all the time right it, i think the same thing applies um you know you're going out to kill a target uh, you should you should be successful and the way to ensure success is, is to go on practice so um i think it's really important then
2: yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's the whole like drill, 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 so that it, I, I think that, you know, the biggest thing too that I come across is just confidence. And if you, it, for some reason, if, if you doubt yourself one bit, when you bring that gun up, you're going to wait a little extra. And you're going to shoot like shit because you're not really with a spear gun. You're not really even aiming it. You're bringing it up and firing. And it's like the longer you aim it with those longer guns, that front end floats around. Yeah. Yep. The confidence is everything.
3: Yeah. And and that's, you know, that's where the, the, the physics of the relationship between the wood and the ballast and the balance of the gun in relation to the salt water that, you know, that, that plays heavily on that too. So that's, that's, where when you do invest in, in a, a higher end gun, you expect that, right? You should be able to point your gun out and it sh- and it should feel like there's nothing there. It should feel weird. Um and and uh you know my my buddy JP talked to me the other day. He's like, Man, I sent uh one of one of our other guys a gun and uh he, he hit me up the other day and he's like, dude, it was crazy. Like I just I just it felt weird. Like it, it should feel weird that you're pointing this gun out and it, you should feel nothingness. It should feel light and ha- light and airy, man. <laughs> you know that's it's, that's yeah. you know, that's what you're gonna get when you. That's what I like about the wood guns. You're able to control that. You have more control over how the gun acts in the water. So and that and that takes tons, maybe tons of time to research and develop. But uh, it's you know another
2: important aspect about shooting a gun. Yeah, I hope the rest of the world is listening because uh, we get a lot of shit for having our giant wooden guns. <laughs> uh from around the world. It's all good. But uh yeah, I uh you know, that was the thing that impressed me about your your gun is when, when we were where we were down in Baja, it didn't mm-hmm. seem any fish, but um I wanted you know, same thing. I wanted to tr- shoot your gun. And uh and I remember like it was a pretty far shot and it was like I think it was like a friggin' opal eye or something. But I wanted to bring mm-hmm. that thing up, fired and I hit it and I was like, God damn, like that thing <laughs> No, I mean, excuse me, I guess. Um, I just, I, it was interesting because it did, like you said, it didn't feel like anything. And I, at that time, I kind of, uh, you know, copped it up to like, oh, it's the, uh, it's the hybrid. It's that carbon fiber tubing. It's it, so it's a little bit more smoother. There's less resistance in the water and it's lighter uh, or it's more ballad, uh, balanced. Um, but yeah, that was the thing that like that one shot, I was like, wow, I just brought that up and shot that thing from like 20 feet away and yep. uh yeah and uh and not to mention that but also like down in guam with the guys and, and trying their guns and using your gun on some dog tooth it was just like but that travel hybrid that that i used that thing was like um yeah that really impressed me probably the most out of any gun i've shot in a long time um uh, i appreciate it, that. yeah no i mean it, it is what it is like <laughs> yeah. yeah. um do you want to go into that a little bit like what you're working yeah. on your projects? Yeah.
3: So I guess I'll start out with the concept of a hybrid cuz I get a, I get tons of questions on why like why hybrid man cuz some people hate the look and that's fine, you know. Yeah. Everybody's got their preference but um why a hybrid? I I grew up yeah so after my Aim right, my next gun was was a Daryl Wong um which uh I actually still own. It was a gift from my dad for graduating my pipeline. Um and uh, I like Daryl, man. He's a good, he's a good dude, but uh, his guns are great. You know, he's got a great product. And uh, the the thing about a hybrid is you're you're melding the the benefits of a of a pipe gun with the benefits of a wood gun if you do it right, in my opinion. So uh, the way I look at it is you want that maneuverability on the muzzle. With a wood gun, you can never ever get a piece of wood that thin safely, right? You're gonna bend the the wood's gonna bend or break. It's it, with a with a carbon fiber or even an anodized aluminum tube, um, you get that maneuverability, which you noticed on on the travel hybrid there. And the other thing, and this is the way I approach my hybrid specifically, is I like to beef up that wood area. And the reason I like to beef it up is because um, you're adding, you have to add weight, right? You add wood, you add weight, like you have to. So what that weight does, uh, not only does it ballast, but adding weight to the gun um, is a counter to the recoil, right? So the hybrid, a lot of guys complain, Oh man, my hybrid, yeah, I like it, but it, it, it punches so hard, dude. So when I initially started building them, I was like, I need to, I need to, um, I need to figure out a way to, to get more weight in the gun. So, uh, just fatten up the back stock, you know, add some weight. And, uh, with those with three sixteenths bands, and, uh, we can get into the, the difference, you know, with 916s, 58s um or 14 mil 16 mil for, for our uh, euro friends uh yeah with the difference there uh is is pretty amazing man i mean with 9 16 bands they tend to in my opinion they tend to wear out a little faster but they they have some snap man and they can sling that shaft pretty far and they also don't don't cause as much recoil um even with 2 5/8 bands versus 3 9 16 you'll notice that the recoil isn't very much very much different so um, when you're adding that weight in the back of the hybrid, you know, and you're adding that that you know that thin muzzle, it just creates a, a a good product in my opinion. So, and I love wood guns too, man. I shoot, I alternate between my wood and
2: hybrids all the time. Um, The one thing like you're saying with putting the weight in that rear part of the gun, when mm-hmm. you go to swing it, I it's way easier to swing because mm-hmm. it's just so much more about you're not swinging around this big heavy front or even the middle of the gun. Yeah. The pivot point totally changes. Absolutely.
3: And, um, even with a hybrid, you can you can put a little bit of weight in the muzzle and there's a, there's a noticeable, noticeable difference. So I, I tend to put weight in the muzzle. I, I use, I lave out my own wood muzzles. So there is a little bit of, um, you do have to counteract that wood a little bit, um, especially with the carbon fiber tubes, but, uh, with the travel hybrids, um, actually, so this is, I built a hybrid about five years ago. Uh, five or six years ago it was a pretty old gun and um i basically had you know primitive design as far as uh I, I never it was my own gun i i basically the tube could come out um and it was it was by accident <laughs> but um i kind of sat on the idea for a couple of years and i looked back at it with with my job you know jumping out of airplanes working on helicopters like i I get put in some pretty remote remote locations here and there and and uh, i was like man that would be so cool if i could put a spear gun my fins inside of a rock jump it out of an airplane that was the like initial thought right nice like i can't do that for work (laughs) maybe one day but um so I was looking at that. I was like, well, on a boat, you know, or if I'm on an airplane, like, why not? And and I think the modular guns had started to become a thing, but I hadn't really heard of it. Uh, so I was like, all right, let's let's look at this. How how do I how do I create this hybrid that I can break down but not blow up on me? Right. That's the scary. That's the scariest thought. So I put about two uh, two to three years of R and D into it. Um, you know, and Luckily I was living next to the ocean at the time and I had tons of time to research it. And what I came up with was, was, uh, basically the lead up to it was like, I, I come up with a product now that's overbuilt. Um, there's some stuff that you could operate without in my hybrid. So I put the two bolts in there and and the ferrule tube. Um, if I, if I just put screws in, it would work too. That, that ferrule tube is, is where all the pressure is. So, um, the pins
2: too, right? You could just put in like pens and like pop pens Yeah,
3: me, right? you could totally do pins, but the problem with pins is if you were taking them in and out, you need like some kind of mechanism to get them in punch them in and out. Uh and yeah. the wood would the wood'll swell. Uh if oh, right. You know, you you could you could, you know, do a, a half inch hole and pour epoxy and then drill through the epoxy where the pin is and that would work fine. But guys are more likely to carry a uh Screwdriver with them, then something to punch out. So that was that was you know another thought I had. I was like, yeah, you know, guys, guys will carry a screwdriver or, or an Allen key, this small, a hex key, whatever you know you like to call it. So I was like, all right. So what I've done essentially is I've I've got this, this these nuts and bolts in there. I don't want to go too much into it, but basically, yeah. Um, guys, all they have to travel and and I usually put an extra bolt in there uh, in case they lose it. But um, you know, you, you travel around with your gun. And the shaft breaks down too, um, and that's you know you just take your Allen keep, pop a few bolts out, and you're you're done, man. It takes two minutes. I mean, you've seen the the, the videos, so um, yeah, yeah, man. That, that was that was the whole concept. And at this point, you know, down the road, two and a half. Well, now I'm about four years down the road from the initial design. Um, you know, I've got something that I really enjoy, dude. That I love taking it around, and uh, I've put just together on a jet ski. I've put it together some pretty crazy spots, but just to see, you know, I had to I had to see. That was all part of the R and D process.
2: So you mentioned the whole nine sixteenths versus 5.8s. like. Mm-hmm. So you do all nine sixteenths on your guns.
3: Uh, so on the travel guns, I, I in the hybrids, I do nine sixteenths. Yeah, um, the reason being is, is there is that weak spot in the gun naturally. Uh, when you're when you're bonding the tube and the the wood section together, granted, I've never had a gun malfunction that way um, because it's it's just overbuilt. I didn't you know I didn't even want to mess. I didn't even want to entertain that. So um, the joint on both the regular hybrid, the non-travel version, the uh, and the travel version is is a pretty. You, I've stood on it. Yeah. I up, so you can. <laughs> And it's there's like barely it, when I stand on it, it's like almost no flexion still. It's a pretty tight joint. Um, and it's and it's all about the carbon fiber joint, man. Um, it's uh, that that took a lot of work to, to figure out you know how to get the tube in there. And I mean, that's that that takes so the, the, the travel guns take a lot of extra time to build, yeah. Um, but you know, it's worth it in my opinion. I I, lo- I love building the guns, man. I just I love the concept, I love the. In- being able to be inventive with a, with a spear gun, that's, to me, that's, that's the whole motivation.
2: So, so do you have the problem where, like, when you're... So this is why I hate building guns, though. First of all, I'm not really, like, experienced at woodworking at all. But, like, when you're building a gun, or guns, I know you guys, like, uh, you and, and uh, uh, Nick from Nitro, you know, um, mm-hmm. you guys build them in, like, just big masses at a time. Do you stay up at night, like two in the morning, like I do, and like think about like, oh, dude, what if I? Okay, you know, trying to think about like how to make things work or tweak it, or you know, stressed out about some is the epoxy curing right, or you know what I mean? Yeah,
3: um, yeah. I probably lose, I probably lose about seven hours of sleep a, a week <laughs> just thinking about guns. And I work from, uh, I work from eight to twelve or nine to one, depending on the day. So 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., for you know. So I work four, four hours a night uh, on the weekdays. You know, I lose a lot of sleep because of spear guns. Um, and luckily, on the weekends, I get to work during the day, which is nice. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I lose a ton of sleep over spear guns. But it's That's the nature of having two jobs.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, it seems to be a common theme, though, too, with, like, everybody that, I don't want to say cr- creative, but, like, are very passionate about what they do, is, like, you just wake up, like, Oh, I got to do this or uh, mm-hmm. just thinking about it. You know, how can mm-hmm. I build the ultimate gun? Like, yeah, I, I remember doing that myself and, you know, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but I remember going through that thought process like, yeah. Um. So you're saying you use 916s on your travel guns and, and that's mainly because with the 916s, it's a little less, a little lighter of a load. Is that why? Than the 5 yeah.
3: yeah. So, the, you know, with the poundage of the bands, you're putting uh, a, a little bit more stress on the joint itself with three 5-8s bands as opposed to three 9-16s bands. Okay. Um, that's kind of a standard with hybrids, too. I, I don't think many builders... It, so my standard
2: hybrids, I'll put
3: three 5-8s on. But the the travel ones, I like to put three nine-sixteenths on. Yeah. Just because inherently the joint is slightly, is slightly weaker because you have, right and, and with the tubes, there is, the space is negligible, non-existent. It's enough space for you to slide the tube in without difficulty, but that's it. There, there's no extra playroom, um, but you don't, you don't want to overload the joint. Yeah. Uh, and I've noticed that with the three nine sixteenths bands, you, you still get, you still get, you probably lose two feet, maybe two feet. Uh, with fresh bands, it, it's, um, it's almost negligible. Um so the, the, the caveat nine bands that you have to replace them a little bit quicker from what I've seen. They tend, they tend to stretch out
4: uh,
3: a okay little faster. Yeah.
4: Like, Interesting. No, that's uh
2: Okay, that's pretty wild. Um I kinda noticed too, like most gun builders really are kinda going away from the five eights too. They just really like the snappiness of the nine mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think
3: guys are Guys are more willing to, to, to redo their bands, to, to put new bands on more frequently, to stick with the heavy bands. And guys, you know, people don't love recoil on a spear gun. Combating recoil is, is a difficult issue on its own. And I think that, um, guys, you know, guys are okay with 916s. They're okay with losing a foot, right? And yeah. uh, that also that also comes down to just, just being, a, improving yourself as a diver, um, getting closer to the fish, et cetera. You don't need, you, you know, yeah. most of the shots that we take, uh, I would say 95 to 98% of the shots that we take, if you notice you're overpowered anyways.
2: I mean, I was talking to Chris, about, uh, Chris Coates about Chris about this. Like they're like 10 feet. Like how mm-hmm. many times you really like reach the end of your shooting line. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, like my dad says, he's like, hey, Brett, firepower is hits on the target. If you're yeah. putting rounds down range, and you don't hit a goddamn thing. It doesn't really matter. So <laughs> yep, exactly. I'll switch to the nine six because that's the recoil. Man, is the one thing that throws off, especially on rear handles, if you have strong recoil, because yeah. you just don't have as much control. Um, yeah, yeah. There's
3: there's a few ways to to combat the recoil. Um, ballast being the number one. So you you want to have a weight to weight to band ratio. Uh-huh. Uh, three pounds three pounds about is the running number as far as your your weight of your gun with the shaft in to the amount of bands you have so two pounds per band uh, that's a heavy gun man so so there's you know I, I like to bring it down a little bit because um the recoil you know you could bring it out to two point five pounds per band it, its It's also negligible um Obviously, with the rollers, that's a whole different issue, you, you know, there's, right. um, and then the other thing that you can do to combat recoil is, uh, is actually your handles, uh, you guys, you can upgrade to something that's a little more ergonomic, uh, you know, more, so basically uh, more surface area on your palm. Uh, if guys are, you know, having issues, they can, you know, upgrade their handle. If they got like the AR-15 handle, you can buy a, buy a handle, or if you want to get a gun with, a you know, a shaped wood handle uh you know if a builder can do that so like i'll offer that to guys who who are like really don't like recoil like hey man let's do an ergonomic handle for you because your more surface area of your hand is going to be on that gun so you can handle more recoil
2: i uh i swear by the custom handles i mean Mm -hmm. i made my own and and again i didn't know anything about it i was like i'm just gonna make everything custom make this whole thing my gun and when you grab that thing and it's custom and the I guess the problem is for me, I'm left-handed, so like not that many people can can use it. Um, But when you grab it and your hand just molds into the gun, like that goes back to what you're talking about, where it feels like it's just an extension of you. And Mm -hmm. uh, I've never made, like, I just feel like one-handed shots, like lasers, just with that gun is just, um, yeah, your hand is just, I mean, you can tell, you know, anybody that's ever tried it it knows, like when you put your hand on a custom mold, it's like, oh, okay. good.
0: Yeah, it yep. feels real good. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.
3: Yeah, yeah. With the, challenge, the challenge for gun builder is to find something that's ergonomic, yet it applies to more than the first AR-15. Um, you can, if you're a lefty, you can buy a lefty, ergonomic style handle, right? So uh, my approach to gun building is is you want to make as much of that gun modular as you can. Right. Okay? So um I like to use the you know where you can tie the wishbones in and replace bands as you go, uh the replaceable handle uh and that obviously applies to uh then the modular portion obviously applies to the travel guns. So there's just, you know, as much as you can manipulate to make the gun personalized. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's to me the difference between getting a wood gun and getting a pipe gun because that's where having five different types of guns or six different types of guns in your inventory, you can cater to people's needs. Um, so, you know, you got a guy who's like, Hey, I do some blue water, I do a lot of refunding. Well, I'm like, All right, man, let's, let's get you a, a slightly beefed up wood gun that can handle, you know, what you want. Right.
2: So, um, we talked about travel guns. Let's get in Paul the spe- the diver. <laughs> like what are where what is your goals this year? I know like um do you mind telling everybody your current situation where you are? Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: So so, you know, in the military I don't choose where I where I go. Um I'm I'm in South Georgia, but I'm I'm close to the coast. It's close enough to go fish every once in a while. Uh, you know, family life and working two jobs has been pretty busy. So fishing has gone down of late. Uh, sadly, but uh, I still get to kind of get my fix with the with the spear guns. Um, and uh, I would say desires as far as next spear fishing trip. Well, oh, man, I'd like to explore Florida just because it's spot in the U.S. Uh, has great diving, and I haven't I haven't had a, too much of an opportunity. I've done Florida a few times. So I've done the Keys. I've dove the Gulf but and I've dove the Atlantic side and and they all got something different to offer. So I'm excited to just explore that portion of the U S. Um, it, you know, I think that a, a good Spiro should, should, if he can broaden his inventory as far as places traveled, you know, uh, yeah. in the future, I, I think that there's some, there's some epic trips to be had uh, halfway around the world. Uh, I think, I'd really like to get out to Africa again and
2: spearfish, man. That, that place is just, <laughs> it's awesome. We, yeah, we talked about that. Uh yep. not going to mention anywhere specific, but holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was insane. That was yeah, absolutely dude. insane. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy out there,
3: man. It's just, it, it's just completely so different. And uh, the variety is amazing and the fishing is amazing. And um, yeah. it's just a part of the world that, you know, if I think a, a, something I said to my buddy is the traveling Spiro um ends up being a better spearfisher whether you like it or not someone who's able to travel and 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 uh kind of build that that inventory just ends up being a better spearfisherman and it makes it better back in your home waters.
2: So yeah, I I thought the same thing um you know traveling if you can go to places and learn and adapt and then um it makes you way more diverse but then also you can see common denominators throughout the world and also learn like multiple you know if you let's just say for example if you hunt yellowtail here and then you go to japan or you go somewhere else like kingfish or whatever and even if you go from the sea cortez side to the pacific side it doesn't necessarily mean those fish are going to act the same way at all like those fish could be like you know wiggling your fingers might work on the pacific side and it's not going to do anything on the um on the uh side so it's like what i found even in um and in guam like the difference between guam and hawaii certain things in guam don't work and certain things in hawaii work so now you start building like this repertoire like stuff like that you could just try and then you get back to your you know you get back to here and it's like oh, i know yellowtail are just as curious as like you know uh, whatever uku or something you know or like mahi or whatever and so you can try those mm-hmm. like cross species tactics
3: and, yeah. and it works yeah.
2: God, it's pretty cool yeah
3: yeah and I, I love like you know it's a good it's a good comparison there like you, you let's say you're hunting uku in hawaii uh green job fish you know, um and you go back to california you got whitefish there you know they kind of act the same they, they like that right. deep sand they're a little bit um standoffish and uh, you know, you lay in the sand, or you have a, the right approach. Um, obviously, with ugu like chumming is a big deal, but um, there's there's definitely like ways you can apply your your previous experiences, and yeah, that's what I'm talking about, man. It just makes a well-rounded spiro,
2: Yeah, yeah, and there's definitely um, kind of what you're talking about. Some places on the other side of the world, different places that are like, I mean, on the map, and I'm like, okay. I got to get there somehow. Like I know this guy and I'm going to go all in here. I know there's some world records shot here and I heard it through the grapevine and this and that, yeah. like yeah. I'm going there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the other side of it is too, it's like, uh, and you being a, a military guy and uh, I'm always like looking back and saying, what's the most dangerous part of the world possible that has an ocean? <laughs> Cause I know yeah. nobody goes there and that place has got to be loaded, you know?
3: Yep. Yeah that resonates with me man like the the places that are the least accessible you know end up having the most fish and (laughs) so what it usually requires is uh opportunity or money (laughs) yes yeah
2: yeah both yeah um so you if you look on your instagram anybody that knows you knows you you and your boys um slay uh rather big-sized dogfish and and you Mm -hmm. like coral trout and is that what you say that's your favorite fish to hunt is dog tooth or Yeah, bar none. Uh dogtooth
3: tuna is, in my opinion, the ultimate hunt as a Spiro. Uh, cause a lot of fish the the fight ends. The, the job is done when when you've got a relatively well placed shot fish, right? Um I'll be honest, man. Doggies have, have given me the highest highs and the lowest low <laughs> <You> <laughs> That's what it makes it so special. You, yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's you know that's that's what brings you back it it turns in it's a sick obsession i think for a lot of us man uh my wife loves to make fun of me and uh for good reason man uh but doggies doggies are i'd say bar none most difficult fish to land in the world and um it's they're also the thing about doggies that that's surprised me was like a lot of fish you kind of know, all right, this time of year, and you know this and this is going on in the ocean, the tide, the moon, whatever. Like, generally know, yeah, this is a good time to go get that fish. Wahoo are pretty predictable fish, right? Um, doggies, though, it kind of just depends, man. Like wherever you go, like they have their their little niche. They have their little time when they like to come out, and it, it does. It's not always the same. So doggies require. You to be in that place for a while to, to develop like that relationship, to develop that, like, um, the no. So that, that's the most difficult thing about them. And then once you get on them, luckily, they're nearly impossible to land, especially the big ones, man. I mean, I had a, uh, probably about a 150 pounder. I'm not going to blow it up more than it was, maybe about a 150 pound doggy. Um, and I'm on this, this wall and I, we hadn't seen much. i shot one small doggy that day. And um, I I dived down, dude, and I plugged this thing. I mean, I thought I, I thought I was in the bag, dude. But he so he brought um, my Gannet 75, my Gannet 100, and an Evolve. Uh, I don't remember what size it was. It was the it was mid mid size Evolve. Um, he brought all three underwater. <laughs> I was, I, the wall dropped off to about 120, 140 feet. And uh, was it where was the shot placed and the gill plate? So I shot him, I thought I was at an angle, um, but it was, it was, so I like to shoot him, you know, in around the pec fin or kind of the soft meat around the pec fin and out the gill plate or just behind the gill plate on one side and out the gill plate on the other. And, um, I think my shot was probably too, yeah, you know, perpendicular. So I think what I did is I shot him just above the, uh, the pec fin above the spine and it went straight out, you know. The the shaft, uh, it wasn't a far shot. You know, we were talking about the the close shots. It was. It was I had my, my big my big Betty that uh, water ballasted uh, gun, and I just absolutely blasted this thing. I watched this doggy bring down three floats, and he came back up for his deck was still on, and then I watched him saw himself in half. I literally watched this doggy split in half from the spine up uh, with with my the spear so what happened was the um i always use cable with doggies there's, there's nothing else i think that works and the reason is because doggies love to get down to the reef love to tear your shit up <laughs> aussie realign's great but uh for, for blue water and for reef on smaller fish but if you put an aussie line on the reef eventually a big doggy like that's just gonna shred it and uh this doggie just just pigtailed my um My slip tip and it tore my crap apart, dude. And he sawed himself in half, and I just watched him just kind of limp away. It was insane. It was absolutely insane. Uh, I was pretty heartbroken after that.
2: (laughs) Now that's that's that. God, man. I just you know, hearing the stories and like we all have a. I think some of some of us has those stories, but like it, it's. I guess that's what makes it so incredible. Where you know where you land that fish, and I'm about to lose my shit and cry because of everything, of the heartache, the mm-hmm. highs, the lows, and uh, yep. everything that goes into it. And like you know, the cable thing, because I was talking to Chris Coates about that too, and I said, you know, cable because of the sharks, and like you said, like they are, man, they always try to wrap up on the reef. And he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, we just use dynema we don't use cable. Mm-hmm. And but you know, him being being as well rounded as he is, he's like, it just depends on where you're hunting, you know. Like, maybe yeah. at our drop offs, it's not, they don't manage to get that on those ledges. The ledges aren't as, as fierce. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I'm not, you know, when, when I make my equipment or, or whatever it is, like, but I know you're the same way because you mentioned it. Like, I overdo everything. I'm not fucking around. Yeah. Because if a whale swims in front of me, you know, a whale, let's, let me say, a whale of a, of a, uh, of, a yeah. fin, of a blue bluefin <laughs> or something i'm blasting yeah. that thing and i know yeah. that my equipment's gonna hold up and, and brandon waller's kind of said the same thing because that's why he custom raised all stuff because of that but more importantly like you're saying the shot placement and like yeah it, and on this show a lot i've talked to guys and and the the, the 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 tuna gets brought up the most like the dog tooth and i'm sure yeah. people that haven't had a chance to travel um you know they're probably like i can't relate to this shit and I'm telling you that you, you you kinda can relate in the sense that you're gonna your dog tooth tuna when you're starting out might be a white sea bass, and it also yep. might be a bluefin tuna right off the coast. Mm-hmm. And the same thing's gonna apply as far as getting humbled when you put thirty pounds of float on your float and tag a two hundred pound tuna. Yeah. I've done it, I've seen it like um where it just sounds and blah blah all your shit. Uh so take it from everybody about these fish and you know the other thing about dog too. And is nobody talks about that much like it is the coolest looking fish oh dude white that you always see the white it's like is that a shark no there's the white spot and then the teeth and it's like it looks like a monster and then the thing is it looks like a monster but it fights just like a monster so like everything about it is legit and then yeah. you were also talking about you know you kind of never know what what's going to show up with the dog tooth. It's kind of hard to figure them out. And what I found it's like um, you don't know you don't ever know what size dog tooth is going to show up. It's like I might know dog tooth will be there, but it could be a twenty five pounder, or it could be mm-hmm. an eight foot one that my you know my buddy uh, Rob saw chasing after the twenty five foot pounder. It looked like a goddamn you know. 300 pound shark and yeah. it turned out to be an eight foot, um, dog too. Um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah.
3: man, it's a trip. Dude. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, they're impressive fish, man. I mean, you just, you see them, you know, you know, when they're big, when they're dark and they waddle, like I always we always say that. I mean, you know, buddies, it's just like, you see that waddle, you see that submarine dude. And a lot of times they do in that flyby, uh, those big ones, the smart ones. And, and, um, uh, oftentimes you're ill prepared when that big one swims up or they're smart enough to just check you out and bail. Uh, and you know, you just, you can never, yeah, you, you're right. You never know what you're going to see. You can never be too ready. Um, you know, you just hope that you are when the time comes. Uh, obviously that applies to any fish. Um, but with doggies, it really is something special. Uh, I had a, uh, so, uh <laughs> another funny story about doggies. I had, uh, I had an epic day, man. I, I shot, um, so 50 pounder, 50 pound doggy. Uh, it was a really good day. It was just going off. I mean, I probably saw three or 400 doggies that day maybe more. And, uh, my buddy goes down and he actually misses a, a long shot on a, probably a 140, 150. It was a good sized doggy. And, uh, I, and these two other ones cruise by and I, I just reloaded. Uh, I just, I just shot a pretty big amberjack. So I had, I had an amberjack and a, and a good sized doggy in the boat. And these two swim down deep, right. Um, hundred, this one was 111 pounds. Uh, at that time it was my biggest doggy stoned him. You know, I'm feeling good <laughs> taking it. So uh, we had a, our buddy is a photographer. So he, he had an underwater set up, getting the water, uh, taking a picture with the the camera. And I'm, I have all these pictures and he's taking the pictures and I'm just, you know, doing all, all the stupid poses with the doggy. And, uh, 50 wahoo, school of wahoo swims up behind us. So this day was just going off, dude. There are fish everywhere. And uh, I'm like, toss me a gun so that all of our guns were all shit show on the boat. Luckily, there was a real gun. Uh, and uh, I got a relatively long shot off on, on uh, this 40, 40 or 50-pound Wahoo. Landed that. As I'm pulling this Wahoo in, probably 200 pounds, maybe 190 pounds, pretty pretty large doggy, dude, swims up. And he's dwarfing the sharks that are swimming around
2: when you when you I say mean, swims up like how close are you talking like uh he, he came with probably within 10
3: feet of me uh yeah. my buddy my buddy was in the water too uh and and he uh he didn't have a gun he was just uh he was helping me get the stuff back in the boat at that point and this this 200 pounder just comes circling up from the bottom and I just I all we could do was stare at it, man. It was awesome. Like it was it was just like this hilarious thing where I had such a good day, I couldn't complain, right? But my buddy hadn't shot anything that day. He was he was being he, he missed that one earlier and um just you know, he didn't get another opportunity and uh we're just go staring at this two hundred pound doggy dude just dwarfing all the sharks around us and uh So cool. Just yeah. laughing, man, like it's crazy. Uh that's but that's that's kind of what I appreciate about it too, man. Like you know you gotta know when you're satisfied you gotta know when you're done you know it's about yeah. being
2: in the presence of the whole thing right like yeah it's it's not necessarily like you said uh i was talking about this the other day or thinking about it or whatever just you know and i was diving and i saw uh, like four white sea bass or whatever and uh one of them i just because he was so close i just kind of put my gun tucked it in and i just kind of swam with him because yeah. it's the first white sea bass i've seen in years because i just had been i was deployed or whatever so yeah. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, and I just, like, I came home with kind of a grin on my face. And my wife's like, "How did you see one? I'm like, yeah, I saw four. She's like, did you get one? I'm like, no. Yeah. I go, you know what? <laughs> I don't even give a shit. Like, it was pretty cool, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, those, yeah. Dogs just, yeah. you know, the doggies big when the sharks kind of veer out of the way. Like, mm-hmm. I've seen, it, like, when you shoot a big dog and the sharks just bolt. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, you're supposed to be going for the fish. No, you don't want any part of it. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
3: man. You know, when you got, like, a couple of sharks around, maybe it's not too
2: sharky, and you just see all these
3: all these little sharks. are like, I'm not trying to eat that dude right now. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that stuff. I, I mean, there it, are yeah. sharks
2: that don't give a shit. But uh, <laughs> as far as some of them, like, I've definitely seen, like, the majority of them, like, just bug out as soon as
4: you shoot mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
2: that's, that's a good feeling, too, because you're like, all oh, right, I got
3: something big on the line.
4: <laughs> you, yeah. you, know,
3: you, may, you may approach it, take your shot, and not even know what you just shot. Like, you're like, I think I know how big that is. And and then, you know, the nice thing about the is a lot of times, you know, they they end up wet. they're just, they're thick, man, you know?
2: And <laughs> it's clear you those, water,
3: you know? Yeah. you get those you get some long and skinny ones I, it's funny like there's this like there's like a couple male or female maybe the fatter ones like there's ones, that, out. There's ones yeah. that are really long and they're lighter colored i've noticed and then you got ones that have like the big eyes or the small eyes and the big teeth the small teeth like i just um yeah you know, it's crazy for us like with the doggies we shooting we noticed that in our area of the world that the, the ones with the big teeth uh and the small eye were the, the big boys, like the ones that got up past 200 pounds uh or close to that were generally small eye big teeth dark color like the, and then the ones that were kind of longer and and lighter gray were usually the the smaller ones with the the tiny teeth but um it could go both ways man. just you try to figure the fish out you end up you know realizing you know nothing at the end of the day <laughs>
2: yeah it's all theory right it's, it's all, all theory man it's all it's theory. like if yeah. you look at if you look at people right like yeah, people like to go to uh, in and out okay. But there are those random weirdos that don't like to go to in and out or whatever, <laughs> dude. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, I don't want to wait in that line, but I mean, there's a lot of people that don't like certain. So those, I'm sure yeah. that happens in the animal kingdom as well. Hey, yeah. So what tips do you have? Like, so this, this happened to us more often than not with the big dog, seeing him at death, just cruise mm-hmm. by wanting no yeah. part of anything. Did you have any tips as far as getting them to stay around other than like, uh, I mean,
3: flashers are your friend, man. Yeah, flashers and current are are probably the two, uh, most common, you know, common denominators as far as dog use went for us. If you don't, if you don't have current, if you don't got bait, might, might as well just kind of look at another area if you can. Um, and then, yeah, to get them to stick around. Most of the time, man, if, if they're not going to stick around, they're not going to stick around. Uh, you know, they got that big for a reason, but, but I have noticed that, um, you got a good flasher set up. Trash flash is great, man. Something that works for your environment. You know, uh, you want to get, like, if you're, if you're going to be hunting doggies, you should be looking for current and you should be putting some weight on the end of your flasher. Like you need to have some weight. Right. Cause 'cause if your sideways in the water, you got, you know, 60 feet of, Mono out on your flasher, but it's sitting like this sideways in the water. You're not doing yourself any good. You got to get, uh, you got to get those flashers in the right uh, column in the water. So I would say those are the two biggest things. Uh, chum, I've seen chum work as far as getting them off the bottom. You got doggies that are sitting at 150 or 120 feet. I've seen flat, you know, especially when you start getting the uku's and the other predators come up. Doggies want to come check that out too. So um, chum works in that in that respect, uh, from what I've seen. Every place is different, but uh, I think there are some some common denominators, you know. Uh, and then I think the last thing is the bait. Read the bait. Um, you know, like you want to you want to stay where stay in front of the bait is what we would always do, you know. So if you got the current going, uh, going the right direction, and uh, that you know that that also applies to the current it has to be in the right direction. Um, but right. and the bait sit bait sitting in the right spot, um, you know that applies to all pelagic fishing and in my comment. I've seen. If it have <laughs> the yellowtail, I mean, it applies, applies to the, the, any, you know, the predators and are going to hang out above the bait or up from the bait because they're going to come in and out under it, up, right? Um, and and the bait are going to sit in their their spot, and just do what bait do. So if you can read the bait, and that that kind of applies to that, that fish sense thing. Um,
2: can you probably, explain that a little bit though? As far as when you say the current going the right way, like say if you have it set up where you have like a high spot, mm-hmm. at, uh or a reef, or yeah.
3: Yeah. Whatever. And, and, and this, you know, this this is all theory, like we said, it could be different in every part of the world, man. But what I've seen, uh, when you got current hitting the prominent wall or the prominent portion of a high spot and the bait is sitting in that up current spot, um, that's that's where you wanna be, man. So if you start getting dragged down current, get back in the boat or kick hard, man. I mean where I where I was diving, you know, we could shore dive with the dodgy, right? Um, and I think a lot of places in the world you can. Obviously, you gotta be, you gotta have buddies who can handle that. And, and, uh, you gotta, you gotta know your waters. That takes a lot of research, a lot of time. But, um, if you can, if you can kick up currents, hip current, man, that's, the, I, I'd take guys out to go get doggies all the time. And, and if they weren't as strong swimmer, we were resetting the boat a lot more. If I had a strong swimmer with me, and, you know, you don't want to work yourself too hard and give yourself shitty dives. But, um, if you can navigate that and that that's where you want to sit man right up up the bait right up current and that's and if you can get a drop where you're putting the doggies so you're keeping those flashers in between you and the doggies is ideal And you're also sitting up current of the doggie dude you're floating to them you know you're acting like that sea turtle you're floating to that doggie so that's that's the advice i would give to anybody who's trying to get into it like you, you, you have to you have to navigate that current uh, right you're getting pushed down man you're they're not going to come with you. They're going to stay up there. So
2: yeah. that was the uh, very first experience ever going offshore uh, when I was down in the uh, Indo-Pacific. There, uh, yep. literally floating in, drop everything in, jump in, throw the float lines out, uh, yep. throw the flasher out, and then throw my shit on. Get in the water, look at the flasher. There's a dog tooth on it, and we're just floating yep. up before we even got to the shelf. And yep. then you hit the shelf. And then there's rainbows, but there's also like four. Looking back now, I didn't know any better, but those were probably like uh, maybe the guys would disagree with me, but I look like they were like anywhere from seventy, eighty pound. They were some, yeah. you know, fifty, and you know, yeah. yeah, healthy dogs. And like, um, you know, you know, again, if there's that learning curve, and nobody should be embarrassed by it. So this is why we're putting this information out, for people to learn from it, so you don't have to like lose fish or wound fish, but um i mean shit we had going after them with mono you know as soon as they hit oh okay lesson learned you know yeah uh we had a lot of those and um but uh yeah my very first experience was just that it just worked out that we were like okay we're just gonna follow the principle go up current we're gonna go in the mm-hmm. blue water and drift up on the shelf we'll see what happens and sure enough yeah there they were you know Um yeah
3: and you yeah know, that like the good thing about that that um that maneuver of diving is that applies to to, to all pelagic fishing. Like if if you, if you're in the right spot in the current, if you're in that sweet spot, man, uh, you're going to, you're going to see more, more pelagic fish. So what we would like to do, um, if it was the right time of year, man, you could have wahoo's, you know, a couple hundred meters further up. So, you know, wahoo like their, like their depth. So we would have wahoo's that were, um, that were, you know, in 400 feet of water, but it was such a steep drop off that 400 feet was only a couple hundred, you know, a couple hundred yards from the wall. Dude, put us in where the wahoo are. If we see one, we'll shoot one. And if we don't, we still got to, you know, we're just trying to maximize uh, yeah, the, how many fish we're going to see.
2: We did the exact same thing. And you can yeah. literally set your depth by what fish you saw first. It was like, oh, there's the wahoo. Oh, yeah. there's the rain. Oh, there's a the mahi. There's the rainbow. Oh, there's yep. the dog too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. When you're seeing all three of those species at the same time, you know obviously this applies to certain parts of the world. Like when you're seeing all three of those species at a certain time, and they're all there, you know you're
2: doing the right thing. Um, and, that's, and you know it's going to be a good day. Like yeah, yeah. You know the first time you drop in, if you see like rainbows and you start, you're like, okay, it's on. Like yeah, that's what we found. Like don't even waste your time if you're not seeing them. Just leave. Yeah, man. yeah. Rainbows, rainbows are like.
3: It's like such a good feeling when you see a nice school of rainbows just darting around. Like you know you're you know you're in the right spot, um, right? And it's it's funny because like it's a good sign, but it's not all like that thing about doggies, man. Like you're just not always there. Um, and it, it's such a heartbreaker when you just got. Some days you'll just have just so much bait action. You'll have like you will have good current, um, and and maybe you won't see them, dude. And that's that's the that's the other thing about doggies. just Like it's all still exploratory Um, with a lot of the fish that like you're in California shooting (laughs) yellowtail, you know what time of year you know they're gonna be there. Like right, yeah,
2: it's it's gonna happen. So, but as far as where we're hunting and uh, the fish we're hunting for, like you said, it's pretty damn new. Not that many people have done it in these certain regions. So, and like I was saying before, like, I swear, like, every fish is different no matter where you go on any reef, sometimes they just have different behaviors, so, but there are the basic generic principles that apply for the most part for any pelagic fish or any fish in general, any animal, really. Yeah, Uh, of
3: course, man, of course. Yeah. Pelagic species, the nice thing about pelagics, if, if you do all your homework and you do see them, the shot usually isn't that hard. It's a bigger fish. And there, and it's a ten-foot shot most of the time, and and uh, the homework, and then and then the ability, you know, you're making yourself that better diver, getting your fish sense improved, getting your diving improved, like that. If you've got all that locked down, you've got your gear prepped, it all comes together, man. And, and at the end of the day, when you got got you know full of you, know, you fill up your Yeti 320 or 360 doggies,
2: <laughs> you know you did it right. That's <laughs> just you know that, that's that's why we keep coming back yeah yeah so we're almost out of time um yeah but uh, before we even uh, before we leave i want you to tell the story of hitting the whale the, the boat crash because that is gnarly <laughs> and that's a good point though, to tell everybody to like hey you never you know yeah man. It,
3: i i don't like you know i i it's such a sad thing for me um like i yeah you know, obviously i wish it never happened you learn from your mistakes. So yeah, uh, we, we did our run. Um, we had gone pretty far that day, over a hundred miles total was the trip, right? Um, I'm within a mile of the Marina and, uh, it is whale season, but, uh, it was kind of the start of whale season. We hadn't, we hadn't seen many, uh, whales that day anyways, we kind of heard them uh, out of their spot but, um, early on the season. So I'm driving the boat in, uh, you know, I get within the shipping lane I'm starting to get pretty close to shore. There's a lot more boats around, right? you when you're when you're that far offshore, you don't see that many boats, but you start to get close and become more vigilant as the boat driver. And uh you know, this is where I'll touch on having your gear like tight when you come back. So put all your guns away, get your stuff cleaned up, or you're starting to run back in. Uh this this came in big because uh I'm I'm you know, I'm running, I'm I'm at thirty five knots, so I'm going pretty fast. And uh luckily this is it's an older whaler that I'm that I'm driving, uh, we got twin uh twin two twenty fives on it. So we we got some push but uh going fast man and this this whale just pops his dorsal probably less than twenty yards from the boat man. Maybe even less than that. It was just so fast. And uh, I'm looking left to right. You know, I'm seeing boats and you know I'm picking my route and, and I look back forward and that's when he pops up. I had I basically put my hands on the throttle and uh that was so i uh and the right then is when i hit it you know i couldn't pull i didn't even have enough time to pull back um uh, luckily you know this whale wasn't any higher in the water uh, if we had been higher i probably would have died uh, just just how fast i was going uh but what happened was i hit the whale we ramped off the, i bet the skag on the uh on the uh, starboard side engine and uh the impeller got all messed up too. The the port side engine cleared the whale. We we uh the, the metal line keel basically ramped up the whale and I just I feel horrible, man. <laughs> this is No, just, I know, it, yeah. It just happens, happen, so. right? This happens. Yeah. Uh, guys hit turtles, guys hit dolphins. Dolphins not so much, but so guys hit, you know, I was talking to some buddies from Hawaii and they're you know, like, Yeah, dude, we hit turtles sometimes. It's so unfortunate. Um anyway, so ramp off this whale and I I hit the uh T Top. It's just all stainless steel. And uh, I get knocked out. And I come to, my buddies are over me. So I'm you all right? And I'm like, oh, oh. my first question was, I'm well, like trying to breathe because I got the wind knocked out of me too. I'm like, is the, is the boat okay? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, I'm just looking down. I'm on all fours at this point. I'm looking down and there's just a pool of blood uh, under my face. Uh, and uh, so, so luckily, you know, I work in the, I work in the medical professional, but, uh, so I got, I went, I went to work that night, uh, come to find out I got a concussion, and, uh, I had to get some of my buddies stitched me up that night too. Uh, you know, went to work all, you know, all messed up. I was, I was, I have a pretty funny picture, whole face is swollen, uh, my nose. Um, I basically, I don't, I, I think I broke my nose. I never actually got a diagnosis on it, but, um, the car it was all crackling in there for a few weeks, the cartilage and stuff and uh my lip so my tooth went through my lip on the bottom side and so that's where i had to get stitches uh and um you know the whale i don't know what happened to the whale i i'd, I'd like to imagine that it was fine we kind of ramped it we didn't like crash into it uh i didn't really see like too much blood in the water i think it was a little bit but um yeah man it's just a super unfortunate event and uh luck you know that we fixed the boat up luckily and and you know got back to the dock behind man this is such a scary thing so every time I ran the boat after that dude I was just like
4: yeah not the <laughs> Oh,
3: dude well you know we've run out pretty rough stuff so I had to keep my hand off the throttle
4: yeah if I could uh,
3: I, was, I
2: was hovering dude <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah
4: yeah I wouldn't worry yeah. about the
2: to be honest like I wouldn't worry about the whale like I've seen animals get propped and I know like the dolphins uh, but I also know whales, their blubber line is so big, so thick. I'm sure, I mean, I'm not a vet, but in my yeah. minimal experience, it's probably fine. Uh, it's yeah. probably was like, what the fuck was that? But yeah, that's, <laughs> you know, and got a nick. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like,
3: you like. Like to imagine the whale swam off and uh, went away with nothing more than than some than some flesh wounds and, and they healed they're healed up by now so yeah my, my I, I believe it was a humpback that's, that's what we have there it, it was a big animal dude he was he was a big whale uh like just his dorsal fin was popped up and and you know part of his his spine there or you know top of him and and uh, just that was popped up and uh, the boat was pretty wide I'm trying to think that boat was man eight six feet 80 wide yeah uh, it was probably eight feet wide and he, just that portion of him that was popped up was wider than the boat you know and that was all i saw of him so he was he was a big boy man I, I don't know how long he was but my my guess is he was at least 30 feet long he was a big boy so yeah hopefully he was all right yeah
2: i'm back scared like 70 feet too or something like that so uh, dude yeah they yeah they get big so that's one of those animals you see, you you want to see in the water, and then when you see them in the water, there's like that primitive fear of like, yeah. what the hell? Like, I had that happen. I was like, I'm gonna jump in on this fin whale, you know, and jump in, and it's like, come get me now, get me out of the water now, quickly, quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you just,
3: like, like, wow. You start to play out scenarios in your head. Yeah. And you're like, man, these things are just so powerful and so awesome. Massive. Uh, uh, the one time, you know, the one time I saw whales, I thought it was fucking Mm -hmm. massive trash pile floating underwater and it's like that doesn't make any sense but it was just like the white he kind of had burned a little bit of his underbelly and i was like my goodness that is a massive whale (laughs) yeah
2: it's wild man. It's It's like seeing a dinosaur you know like yeah yeah well um epic experience so paul how does everybody how does everybody contact you give me all your contact information and let everybody know where to find you and your guns yeah absolutely so people have instagram it's just hot rod
3: Spear guns the so hot rod like a car hot rod spear guns. um and then email is paul at hotrodspearguns.com uh, uh, i have a website it's www.hotrodspearguns.com um i do a lot of my my work through, through instagram um or email so if guys want to contact me um feel free to dm me i usually answer within an hour unless i'm asleep but um yeah man I, i'm just you know I, again like on the gun thing i Love what I love doing it. It's not. Uh, I'm not really here for the money, man. To be honest, with guns guns don't make you that much money. Most builders will agree on that. You have to sell a lot of guns to make money. I just I just love doing it, man. I stay up late. I just all I'm thinking about is, hey, man, I want this gun to go to a dude who's gonna put it to use and slay some big fish with it. So.
2: Yeah. Awesome. I know you. I mean, I I don't know you that well. We we you know we talked a lot over Instagram and we went on a trip together and I know your yeah. brother but uh, yep. I know you seem like a very genuine person and you're a hell of a diver. So thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, Paul. Yeah, man. Thanks for giving me a shot. I appreciate it, Brett. We can dive in <laughs> soon, brother. Yeah. All right, man. Have a good night. You too, man. Talk All to right, you. buddy. Okay, Bye. later.
1: All right. That concludes the show for today. So I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed really talking with Paul. Uh, don't forget to leave comments if you liked it. Also, if you want more information, check out uh, www.spearfactor.com or contact Paul at Hot Rod Spear Guns. Uh, also, uh, if you want to donate to the show to help keep it going, check out our patron page, uh, Spear Factor. Alright guys, I hope you guys have a uh, great month here coming up, better than the last one, and happy hunting.
0: You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.